0: PhD process. For folks going through the rigors of pursuing a PhD, folks thinking about getting a PhD, or if you're just curious what it's all about, you can check out the website associated with us at realphdeal.com, and we'd love it if you email us at our group email, that's phdmail@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also check the show notes on whatever pod app you're using for that information. Uh, So feel free to send us any comments, criticisms, and most importantly, questions. And finally, a quick disclaimer. The following podcast reflects only our views and in no way is meant to represent any of the views of institutions or organizations that we are affiliated with. And yes, believe it or not, we are affiliated with institutions. (laughs) We also admit we don't have the perfect answer to every question which is a tough thing to admit, but we just did now. But you knew that already. And even among ourselves, yeah, we might sometimes uh, just respectfully disagree on topics. So please take everything we say with a kilogram of salt. And with all that said, let's get on to the episode. I'm your lead host for today, uh, Elias, and I'm joined by nuclear materials scientist Liz hi guys and battery <laughs> slash carbon slash materials <extraterrestrial> slash
1: <laughs> scientists how are you doing lou wow what an awesome introduction i am doing great i understand you got some numbers for us today uh, some really yes yes
2: topics.
1: i i'm so I'm... I'm so jazzed about this. This 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 taps into my my inner geekness like nothing else does. Like I'm like oh, I could pour through statistics. Once we got the the podcast going, I realized that we can start to see where our, our listeners come from and where we get downloads uh, to these to the podcast. And so that, of course, like you know, I can delve deep into details and and plot them over time and put together all kinds of graphs. But just to give you a brief synopsis, we are worldwide. Just so you know the. We have pH dealerinos everywhere. As we uh, from, we have one download. This is just download, so um, so I don't know. The, so this is we have one download in Greenland. We have uh, so Greenland. whoever, Greenland, so whoever you are in Greenland. You listened to it once. You didn't like it. That's cool, man. That's or, or you know, like I'm fine with that. But give it another try. Listen to another episode. It's okay, you know. I promise not to talk as much, you know. You know,
0: Greenlanders notoriously finicky about their choice of podcasts. I've heard I've this. Heard... Yeah, yeah. This this is a standard thing.
1: Uh... But, you know, it's just
2: one hundred one percent of people from Greenland are picky about their
1: podcast. I well, you know, it's, it's rigorous data list. I mean, the, I, I, okay, I,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I I actually I it's probably just some guy who accidentally like pressed our podcast download it was like, oh, what do I do? And then, and then he <laughs> it. but hey, we got one download in Greenland. Um, joining the one download club is uh, Russia. You know, I guess we have some 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 influence there. But but this is interesting. Of course, most of them come from the U.S. But check this out: we've got 32 from Germany. Germany is like our second home in a way. It's like <laughs> got to give it to. I don't know if it's like the fact that they have um, uh, uh, a prime minister. Is a prime minister in Germany? Am I? I, uh yeah chancellor prime Minister. Cha- oh thank you yes chancellor you're right uh the, yeah here's where i demonstrate like how much how focused we, we just lost like 31 31 <laughs> oh no stay with us germany you're 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 a big you're a big uh second market uh they, we have 32 downloads there that means there's uh like a bunch of folks downloading a bunch of episodes like that's that's awesome. Right on, Germany. Like, Funny enough,
0: I remember both Lou and Liz, you folks almost
1: moved to Germany at different points. So, we, hey, we made that That's right. And maybe, you know, I don't know. If to, I was thinking, you know, uh, first of all, it could be lots of reasons, right? Maybe their chancellor is is a physicist. Maybe they're they're a scientific, you know, people, uh, and they, they like. P- but then I was thinking, you know what? It probably is. They probably hate Missouri with a passion as well. And oh, so they man. kind of they <laughs> kind of hate. Listen, I think they're like they're like we don't we we don't really like the podcast, but we like this Elias guy who like seems to dislike Missouri. So we're gonna we're gonna listen. So but, do we have any listeners from Missouri? We, we do not. I actually, just the first thing I checked. We have zero listeners. Oh, we can look at the states. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. It's so cool. So you can jump into the U.S. Oh, right. So,
2: right. I did know that. Yeah.
1: And, and guess what? We have 24 downloads in Louisiana. I don't know who in Louisiana. I don't know who you know in Louisiana. So shout out to Louisiana. Thank you. Uh, well, of course, we get a, a lot in Washington, a lot in California. What's up, Ka- Callie? bunch in Ohio so that's good that means I've, I've been spreading the word uh, New York as well but Minnesota Minnesota's coming out strong they're our fourth largest US market Minnesota like I don't know it's we, we got some we got some Minnesotans they 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 like they know what the pH deal is uh, so that's I mean and then just like you know random uh, Nevada one we have one in Nevada like somebody but you know somebody was in Las Vegas and so what 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 happens in Vegas stays in Vegas that they, they, they just sort of like they splurge. They they listen to a podcast, the PhD, and then you know they move on. But but the, the world stuff is, is fascinating. We have we have Germans. We have the UK. Uh, we've got a bunch from the UK. Canada is representing. Finland, give it to Finland. Like they're 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 bringing in some serious uh, listenership. Uh, Australia as well. Uh, India is 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 killing it. Brazil, we got a bunch of listeners in Brazil, and and even Saudi Arabia. Sédi Ariga, doing well. Look at we got one Spaniard, too, a bunch of French people. Right <laughs> <laughs> Not too bad. So, so thank you very much uh, to our international audience uh, and and our well dispersed U.S. audience of uh, of PhD Arinos. It's it it brings joy to my heart to to know that uh, there's there's a worldwide audience uh, listening to to our humble little podcast. So I just wanted to 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 give a big shout out, thanks to our listeners. So thanks thanks for the moment. Very Alice. nice. Yes. So for all
0: those listeners who are still listening to this episode, <laughs> <laughs> let's get on with our topic. Right on. And today, today, we will be talking about uh, part two of our series on writing manuscripts and getting published. And we'll start by saying this, poorly or badly written papers they can still be published. You can publish a
1: badly written paper. It happens. That's crazy talk. Yeah.
2: It happens a lot,
1: I would say. Yeah, but... Just kidding. Yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) Your job is to write the best possible paper you can. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to part two of our series on writing manuscripts. And today we're going to dive into the practical details of finally getting your paper published. In the last episode, we talked kind of like a more of a big picture type of thing with focus on communication skills and how you can, you know, uh, make sure you leave grad schools with the writing skills that you need to succeed in academia or any other career trajectory you care about. Also on what goes into the thought process of the scientific method and how that features into writing a paper. You know, it's not just about knowing words in English or whatever language you're writing in. It's about telling a story, a scientific story, and all that good stuff. But today, let's get into the mechanics, the practical details of how to write a paper. And I guess the first question that I would ask the panel is, when do you know it's even time to start writing
1: the paper? <laughs> <laughs> when your boss says, like, hey, we need a paper, uh, <laughs> wrap, wrap it up. Yeah, that's, you know, I
2: one the
0: I have this funny image of uh, Caesar in the arena with the gladiators and, you know, thumbs up. Now is the time. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. start writing the paper or no, you shall go down eaten by
1: the lions, something like that. That is uh, oddly correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: but, But that's interesting because, you know, it's obviously they know a lot. They've published a lot of papers, but at the same time, They might have forgotten about, uh, you know, student seven in their group of 50 people, you know, their second mini project, how it's gone, and, you know, what the last task, where you're at with your study. So in many times, it's very important for the student themselves to take the initiative and kind of say, hey, it might not be published in Science or Nature, but I really need that paper to get out, and I think it's a good time to start writing. So what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on that?
2: Oh, um, yeah, I guess, gosh, I um, probably do not have the most experience with this, so please butt in. But I would say um, I think you should probably get a good sense of what is, um, you know, publishable information or what would be value added to the literature from something like a literature review or your own background reading, right? You should get a sense of what are other people talking about? What is new? What are the gaps? And if you have data that is a coherent story that fills one of those gaps, then I think it's time to start, um, you know, pulling together figures and an outline. Like, I think one of the best ways for me personally to work is start with the content, start with the figures. So I have definitely, you know, I like to do experiments with like, you know, an end in mind, like what am I trying to answer, right? And that's usually a good place to start instead of flailing around wildly, but um, which is also a method that's worked. Um, But anyway, um, if you have a question you're trying to answer and you either answer that question or you find some other interesting results, it would be worthwhile. Step one would be, compiling your results. Right. And then, you know, when you've done a bunch of things and you think you've answered the question you were going after or a different one, start, um, then taking your results and putting them into more figure format in the, in like, I think, you know, in a more condensed version of an outline, but in a visual sense, right. Because I think one of the most important aspects is what is your narrative? And that comes from your figures or your content, you know, whatever, whatever your figures are, like maybe they're images, plots, whatever. Um, but as long as they're together and you have a narrative in the narrative answers a specific question that adds value, you have a start. Um, so I think that's my answer to your question. How would you start?
1: Yeah, I, I would, I would answer it first, go to realphdl.com and go to, go to the, Go to the expert section and look up uh, Jim Diario's uh, really well-written uh, uh, section on basically how to how to how to st- start a research project because it's it's a very similar thing you know writing a paper or 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 how to how to put together a proper research project the same thing you're looking for knowledge gaps and you're looking for for answers to questions that that the literature has not answered yet and that the that particular research niche needs so you need to have like a pretty good plan going into it like most of writing paper is uh is having everything uh figured out beforehand unfortunately that's that's hard to do at times because you know you we live in a world uh, with deliverables and as a PhD student, you may have a little more freedom, which is nice to delve into, into details. And then just happen into interesting data that then you could turn into a paper. But, uh, but, you know, typically what, what you should do is, is look at the literature, like get the research field that you're working on. So let's say you want to work on supercapacitors and and that's what you're, uh, that's what you're working on. Or let's say you're, it could be anything. And then, so you go into that field, find out, you know, a, what, what you can do and, and what you can bring to the table and then f- figure out where there's knowledge gaps in, in, within the field. And that's only going to come by reading a ton of papers and just seeing what, what what's out there and then find where your work fits in. And then once you start to be able to answer those questions, then you start putting together figures and it's exactly what Liz says. like As soon as you start getting data and you start plotting things and you, know, you start to pl- uh, plot data and, and analyze data and present them to your boss or at group meetings... Then all of a sudden you start to have the semblance of a paper, and then all of a sudden you start the, these figures drawing together, and you're like, okay, we ran this experiment to show this, and that led us to this question, and then we did this, and then all of a sudden, boom! You all of a sudden you have an outline for your paper, and then you, and then it's essentially backfilling the story around it, uh, and and you know sticking in an introduction where you show. Where your work fits into the knowledge gaps, and then boom, put the conclusion of of like this is what we're bringing to this this is what we're bringing to the table, and what we've demonstrated, and how we've uh, fixed some of these knowledge gaps, and then you throw an abstract that just summarizes the whole thing, and you're pretty much done. I mean, uh, so so that that's that's uh, I think that's how you start, but uh, and I think you the starting before you actually start writing is is the hardest part. Like, is to start looking at the literature, see where it works, and and maybe even start writing the paper. Even though you're not finished with it, you can start writing on the data. That kind of informs you. Because it, it, what you end up doing is you find out, as you write the paper, almost invariably, you'll always find out like, oh, I really can't make this claim without running XYZ experiment, actually, now that I think about it. Like, I need to, to, to re, re, like run all this stuff that I should have done while I was doing this stuff earlier. And so if you can figure that out sooner than later, that's better because then what ends up happening is you have all the data, you 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 have outline and you have, you know, your paper and your figures, and then you start writing it. And as you so you, you think you have all the data and then you start writing it, and you're like, Oh crap, you know what? We should have run some FTIR and and shown this and we should have, you know, I'm I'm claiming this, but I can't really demonstrated so then you have to go back and then run experiments instead of writing the paper whereas if you start writing it early you start to hit those um those those points earlier and then while you're running other experiments you can say oh let me run this experiment at the same time and you're you're a little more efficient but even though that's the way everyone kind of knows it's supposed to happen it usually happens <laughs> the other way where you just get a bunch of data and then you're like oh no crap we need to run this too you know what we should run this as well but but that's that, that that tends to be yeah i think that's that that is how i would start
2: yeah i th- i think one more thing i want to mention is that um like as you're doing work i think it's super important to compile your data in one spot and that is immensely helpful like at least to me you know if you do an experiment even if you make a very preliminary crappy looking plot, throw it somewhere so you can like visually go to this and like, look, Oh, this is the data I have. And I don't know. It it helps me a lot to be able to look at everything all in one place. And that um, I think as you spend more and more time looking at that sort of like, you know, your data compilation or whatever it is, um, then you kind of really get to know your data. Like, and And then and you're sitting with that data like day after day, and you really get to know it, you know what you need more, and you just kind of build from there. And I think you should it's something that nobody, should, nobody should get too attached to, you know, draft one figures <laughs> or whatever. Like, they're gonna change, just like Lou was saying. You're probably gonna add new experiments. You're probably gonna add new plots. like but you have to start, and that's the hardest part.
0: Yeah, I agree. So to go back to what Lou said, you know, in every paper, there are a few of the experiments that are absolutely crucial for the story. Those are kind of the benchmark, the, the, the flagship, let's call it, of that paper is basically this and this and this measurement that connect the storyline that arrive at a conclusion. And then there's a whole bunch of those supporting evidence and the things that you have to do is what Lou said them uh, called it. And that most probably will not completely change your story or change it at all even, but you kind of have to do it anyway. You have to support the claims that you've done. So many times when you've arrived at that main thread of the story, that's a time where it's useful to start thinking of how to make those figures and how to write that paper. And then those other pieces you can build as you come along. And as Lou said, you notice the weaknesses and then you fill those weaknesses. And then, hey, who knows? You might still be surprised anyway And then obviously you have to rethink your paper. But at the same time, usually it's most cost effective to start writing as soon as you can see that story and then the pieces, the rest of the pieces fall into play. Be careful to be objective, but that's generally how most papers end up happening. And regarding what Liz said, I can't even, you know, count the times where I thought, oh, I made this figure, that's it. It's not like i have ever going to come, ba- come back to it and edit it or change it. Or even a measurement where I said, okay, that's a useless measurement. No, actually there's no such thing as useless measurements. Actually there are, but they still end up with- <laughs> so, Yeah, it's incredibly important to, uh, you know, have organize all the resources you need for the paper, for the project. Uh, every MATLAB script that you used and then two weeks later you will not be able to decipher what the heck you were thinking. Make sure you can figure out what that was about. You might need to edit one line that saves you a month's worth, uh, a week's worth of work rather than going back from scratch and just figuring out what the heck you were doing or writing. You know, every figure needs to be editable. Data needs to be accessible. Everything is useful. Uh, Don't think it's useless and then it's usually just 30 extra seconds to sort things in a folder at the time when you collected the data. But it's so, it's hours worth of work to figure out where everything is if you haven't sorted them out. So do not underestimate your useless data, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, and I, I love Liz's comment about, like, put it in, a pl- like, one place and then just stick it there. Like, you as soon as you start to throw it into disparate spots, you're like, oh, this is XRD data, and then I'll put this here. <laughs> and later when it's, like, time to... Put your paper together. You're just like, where the hell? I, I know I took. I know I grabbed this data. It should be here somewhere. And it's even worse when your your supervisor is like, hey, where's that data? You're like, yeah, it's in the. No wait, no, it's not. No, that's not. No wait, hold on, it's not in that folder. In that folder. <laughs> now I look like a disorganized fool. Like, uh, ah, yeah. crap, crap. Where the hell? Is this of, of course, yeah. you
0: never find it when someone wants it from you. Yeah, especially, yeah, yeah, is, especially in real time, you know, if they're asking for yeah. it in real time. It's it's fine number nine that you open and close, of
1: course. Guaranteed. <laughs> guaranteed. Yeah, so, so keep it in one spot. Like, yeah, you know, and you'll save yourself a lot of hassle like all over the place. Right.
2: I think, yeah, so one thing that I have found very helpful and this is a personal preference that I've learned from someone I work with um, and I was Grumpy about it at first, but now I'm not because it's useful. Um, but origin pages, I just copy them in. If I make a graph, yes, I save them as projects or whatever. But I copy the origin page into PowerPoint, then, you know, wow, that's there also.
0: Nice.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's so a thing. You can
0: just copy <laughs> the origin
1: page,
2: a graph it's a graph into PowerPoint. And then if you're like, you know, going, say if you want to share your data compilation with your supervisor or someone, you can send it to them and they can open the graph. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to give people that power.
0: This advice for me arrives
1: seven years too late. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think you can do it in Excel also. I just don't like Excel. So I don't use it.
1: Nobody likes Excel except for Microsoft. Like, it's, yeah. just, it's. Oh, it's,
2: maybe we shouldn't say these things.
1: I don't know. Oh, uh, Excel is the worst. It's uh, well, I mean, it's ah, I use it all the time though. Like uh, just because sure, um, yeah. it's easy yeah. and. Hey, you more. know,
0: Microsoft is a big taxpayer in the state of Washington. They lobby us in this podcast, so we can't oh, say. All right.
1: never mind. I
0: love go, <laughs> Microsoft. Yeah. Our one user in Myanmar and twelve listeners in Finland. You know, we're <laughs> gonna lose that market
1: now. I, but- I I will I will say this: Microsoft Paint game. You know, Microsoft Paint is notorious for being terrible. But like Microsoft Paint 3D is like this new offering by Microsoft. I have to say, it's not bad. You can put together three dimensional spheres, uh, cylinders. You know, if you want to put like a quick, quick and dirty. Um, uh, figure together, like it's 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 super intuitive and super easy to use and nice. I kind, I, I, I've been a big fan of it. I think we indirectly hit on a very important
0: point, which is oh, okay. that every scientist has their own toolbox oh, yeah, for yeah, making yeah. figures yeah. and analyzing data. And that's very important. The sooner you figure that out, the better. Of course, you can always build on it and learn new things, but find ways to make professional figures uh, efficiently and analyze data in a good way. And you know, not like a license is gonna expire two weeks before you need to finish your first draft or something like that. So the more you invest in those things, the quicker the tur- the turnaround and you gain from doing that. I also write papers by first doing the figures like Les said. I think that's incredibly useful to visualize the story and what we're trying to say. And one thing I learned very early on is, you know, you know when you make a figure and then you say, hey, you know, this could be fixed, but nah, it's not that important. And usually, eventually, you're gonna have to fix it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, you might, so you might as well, and here's what I say to myself, all the comments that I know people are gonna think about or give, give me those comments, I might as well do them from draft number one. You know, make the axes legible, Make everything clear, make uh, the figures look nice when you print them in a single, in a double column, A4 uh, sheet of paper, all that good stuff. You immediately you know, if you're reading a paper, you immediately say, this is a good figure, this is a bad figure. Make your figures good. Everyone knows what they are when they look at them. Uh, make yeah, yeah. Sense, everything clear. So that's yeah. very useful.
2: Yeah, something I just want to quickly add, I think some people are like, I've, I've kind of, heard people, like, not really care too much about figures. Like, oh, whatever, like, you know, it's good enough or something like this. Like, it's fine. Um, but honestly, I feel like when I personally read a paper, when I figure there are some subtleties about figures that maybe, yes, don't change the science, but do change its presentation. It just makes it easier to understand faster. And I mean, it just helps. Like I, I don't know. I don't think it's ne- a waste of time to uh, spend time really uh, formatting your figures and really thinking through how to arrange it so that it tells the story because a lot of people just kind of skim over your words and look yeah. at your figures, like, um, especially the reviewers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. you
2: know, so it's important. Um, of course, first priority one is what, scientific like data and story are you communicating that's always priority yeah. one but um make it clear make it easier and like ellie said if you know you can make it better do it just do it, <laughs> just do it.
1: Yeah, oh, I have I have another world famous uh, now world famous Lou analogy for for uh, you a know we need a jingle for your analogies <laughs> 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 like I I think uh, when you're writing a paper the figures and making them nice and making them pop out that's a, it's like when you're trying to sell your paper it's kind of like trying to sell a house right. And the foundation of the house, the whether it's structurally sound, whether there's not termites eating it out, you know, from the inside, that's all important. That's that's the scientific merit and the work of the house. But the curb appeal is your is your figures like you want someone to walk by the house and look at it and be like, oh, that's kind of that looks nice. Like, oh, it's for sale. Let me check it out. Like, that's what you that that is the curb appeal of your paper. You want that to be to suck in and. and, uh, to, and you don't want someone to be like, "Oh, that looks terrible. Like, uh, forget it. I'm not even going to invest time in it." And it, you know, we're, it's human nature. I mean, we, we shouldn't be like that. We should look into the paper and kind of see what what's being presented. But uh, that's what we do, right? So, so it is it is an important part of your PhD skills toolbox to to be able to make a paper with nice curb appeal. Like, oh, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> hey,
0: you know, don't forget. It's the first academic tactic that we all learn, even as four and five-year-old kids. You're flipping through a book. First thing you look at, children's book, is the pictures. That's what we all do. And then that holds uh, for the rest of your life. Even if you become a Nobel laureate, you read the paper, first thing you look at is the figures. And usually these things correlate with the science often. If people invest time, into proper figures that's probably means their science is not sloppy as well if you make sure that you you don't you don't just want to collect data you want to communicate that data and if that's important for you if you're passionate about your work make good figures as well it gets back to you
1: in presentations and talks and in interviews everywhere. definitely definitely in presentations like there's nothing i hate more than then going to see a presentation and then a plot comes up and it's like something from Excel that was just like, just plotted with like the standard, um, uh, the, pre, the prerequisite, like the settings that Excel has, which is like, which, which are-, always are, are
0: always
1: Yeah, the grid line, yeah, yeah, the grid yeah. Grid
0: and,
1: and, and honestly, I don't know what the hell Excel is smoking. It's always the worst. Like whatever their standard like uh, settings are, they're awful. It's like, Oh look, numbers one through five with four significant figures. Like so, it's one point oh 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 three <laughs> and you're like, what that? Like, you just you see it, and it has like a gray background, like for no reason, uh, behind the plots, and you just you're looking at it, like it shows. As soon as a, something like that shows up in someone's slide, like I just don't take them seriously. Like they could, like I'm just like I don't know. They couldn't be bothered to like right click on a plot and fix it and make it look like. Like not like utter garbage. I'm I'm going to be less likely to kind of uh, give them the time of day. And so I, I I think I think it's really important. It's not just um, an important skill for for um, writing your paper, but you need to be able to pres- uh, to do this well in presentations. Now, of course, you're you're sharing some quick data with a colleague. Yeah, whatever. Like you're like plot something really quick just to show something. That's cool. But like when you're when you're you know actually standing behind something in in some kind of a presentation or even group meeting, you kind of, you want to, I mean, group meeting, you don't have to go too crazy, but you want it to look nice, You at least solid and nice. Uh, you don't want to spend all your time working on your group meeting slides. Obviously there's work to be done, but you, you want to represent well, and you just you, do not use that gray background, multiple <laughs> grid lines for no reason, to, like, uh, purple triangles plotted on a gray. Like, it's just like, what the hell are they smoking? Like, I don't know. what. It's the worst. It's so the worst. Every time I plot something on like Excel, I get, like, angry at it. I'm like, like, why did you choose this? This makes no sense. Ah, sorry. I'm, 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 I'm done with my red. No, oh, I enjoyed your Microsoft rant.
0: Uh, <laughs> so one thing I like after the figures is to build momentum in writing with with the with the easiest section or what I think is the easiest section, which is the methods, like the materials and methods
1: section. Yeah, yeah, I like that.
0: I mean I find you can't do you can't do too bad on this section. I mean it is what it is. You did the experiments, what did you do with them? So yeah, it's yeah. often a good place to build momentum and of course it's important to be clear, to make sure experiments are reproducible. But I don't know about you folks, but I always find it good to just fall back into this comfort zone of the methods section and then uh, just build on that and move on to the
1: results section and start describing the results and stuff i i 1000% agree like that's i you that building momentum thing just rings true like you just you sit there and you're like then i did this then i did this and then you go into story time mode and then you go into the story of what you're trying to do and it just it yeah start with the methods it's because it's easy right you you don't have to do the heavy thinking you know you don't have to go why do we do this what are we trying to show you know you're like we took the sample we threw it in a sonicator and then we put it in the vacuum oven and we brought it to this temperature for x amount of time and you have it all written in your lab book and you're like and then you get to be proud of yourself because you actually took notes in your lab book of what you were doing and you're like hey look at me I did I did something like useful and good, and then and then you yeah, you build momentum into the rest of the paper, which is like that is the perfect way to describe it. Like it's it's yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm with you right there.
2: I totally agree. I do the same thing. I it gives me like a lot of like a strange sense of comfort to just write a title and the <laughs> authors and their affiliations and like the word abstract introduction methods, and then you know you put the titles in there and then the method section, you just start filling things in. And then once you have that section done, you're like, oh, I did a section. Then you just <laughs> keep going. Like,
0: I don't know. Like paper, even,
2: you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts to look like it. So then, you know, it is one. Just kind of like that, you know, you should act how you want to feel or some, I
0: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we get it.
2: <laughs> if it looks like a paper,
0: it's got to be a paper. <laughs> you know, with the results section, I think the biggest uh, pitfall for me when I started learning this stuff is to be over interpreting too soon. Yeah.
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yes. And I just, you know, I had this very good advisor who was also an excellent writer, in addition to being a pretty good scientist, also. Uh, and he just taught me how to start by describing the results, not assuming that other people know about this stuff. Take it easy, even if I think it's too simple, but I have to explain what we're looking at, what that data means, and then slowly start, especially if there's a discussion, a separate discussion section, analyzing and interpreting. And, you know, those things mean, mean, you know, words have meanings also. So when you're analyzing results, it means that there's a very straight line that you can draw between what you just saw and clear conclusions that you can make about that data. And then when you start interpreting the data, it means, well, yeah, probably... Uh, you kind of almost know what you're looking at. You kind of have those conclusions. But then it's a little bit speculative as well, which is important also in science. You need to make those projections as to what you think that data is about. But do not start making those projections without even describing what the heck that data is. And I worry that, oh, it sounds too dumb. But no, it doesn't. Actually, you've spent ages doing this stuff. No one else knows about it. So don't take it for granted and explain those things. Uh, otherwise, you know, it just comes out too speculative and too not sure, and without a clear storyline. I think.
1: Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, like, I find that uh, just like you go right to the figures for that, like, because that's that's um, you have your figures up there, so you just even though, like you said, like it seems obvious, like you like, clearly, this plot is showing that, you know, you have an increasing trend of blah, blah, blah. You still want to say that. You just go there. You're like, um, as shown in figure one, like, the, the upward trend is, you know, uh, an upward trend can be seen from the blah, 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 from the running this experiment. And blah, blah. You don't want to start going right into, which is indicative of, you're like, no, no, just just explain, just kind of, you know, what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. You know, just save it for later, save it for later. Don't worry. Just, you know, go into, like, like, <laughs> It's like, you know, just avoid the temptation. You're like, you know, of like and then you have this other downward trend, which means that I no, no, it's okay. No, I, I'm just, just talk about the trends, talk about what's happening, like talk about the, the, the values you're getting, like, you know, and then and then build it, build it, build it, you know. So on like this it's, it's, are not by not seeing
0: Lou act this out, they're just hearing the audio. They
1: yeah.
0: you know, the key that's missing. To kind of uh, take a page from your book and say an al- analogy about this, it's almost like a multi-course. Yeah, sure. It's almost like a multi-course meal. If you have everything at once, it's a mess.
1: I love it. So you have movie. to very
0: slowly transition one thing leads to the to the next, and it's very smooth and crisp and al dente and perfect, perfecto, <laughs> catering to our catering to our Italian three listeners or something like that. So, yeah. And by the way. Do not be biased completely by by what you did over the past six months, as in like the history of the order of how you did those experiments. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That totally does not have to yes, be the yes. order of
1: how you write about them. Just think that's about right. the best right. science. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's not a history like paper. Yeah, that's right. By the way, two yeah. two a, two Italian downloads, just so you know. We we do have we you have, we, to- have to- we have Italian <laughs> research. <listeners, laughs> <so good laughs> I'm big on Thai food. What about Thailand? Uh, let me see. Okay, Thailand. First, I have to find Thailand. And, you know, I'm American, so I, I don't know anything <laughs> about geography.
0: Uh, I, so, oh, Thailand. I, I,
1: a, I found it, which are, I'm I'm shocked. And B, we have uh, quite a bit of listeners. Um, there's eight of them, eight downloads. So, you know, that's... Nice. Somebody, that's somebody so maybe two people are listening? Yeah, right on. There oh, is. that's awesome. We, we, so, we're going
0: to start I'm not pandering to the Italians anymore.
1: The Italians I was about to say anymore. we're gonna start pandering to our audience for sure. They're like, be like, you know what I love the Finnish. They just have, you know, the <laughs> favorite, the <laughs> way of being. yeah, they're they're the best. <laughs> I bet you they know how to write a paper. <laughs> so, what
0: are your thoughts about the introduction, which I always think is the trickiest part of the paper to write? Uh, I always don't even know when absolutely. to start. I, I feel like that, I should yeah. start my like Pythagoras or Archimedes' experiments <laughs> explaining, like how far
1: back do you go in explaining the concepts? The I know, concepts? I know. I hate the introduction. I always hate it the most. Uh, I, I don't have an answer to your question, by the way. I just have a hatred <laughs> for, for the introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't uh, know. Go ahead, Liz.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, gosh, I am certainly not good at this, and I struggle with it a lot. But I do think the best way that are the, that how I've improved, I'll say that, um, is by just reading like I read a lot of I or I try I try to read a lot of papers in, you know, with similar work or whatever it may be, you know, to what I'm trying to write about. And you start to at least I think especially like if they're in a journal that you're like trying to submit to you sort of start to get this feeling like you get a feeling for this is how an intro, this is the information, in the introduction, this is kind of how it flows. Um, and that's usually how I start. I just start by like, um, you know, you have to read anyways. Right. But if you read several introductions, you, for me, I'm kind of, you know, I learned by repetition. So I have to maybe read a couple, a couple times over and, gosh, yeah, that's really kind of a fuzzy thing to say. Oh, you get a feeling. But I don't know. I think it's a place to start, particularly when, I mean, it's always helpful. I think people do this different ways, but I think it's very helpful to start with a journal in mind. Some people just, you know, go for it and then think about... Oh, I'm, this could I'm go the latter.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm the latter. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I like to... Try to think of a journal i because that really helps me think about what am I going to include in the introduction. Like, how detailed is it going to be? How That's long cool. is it going to be? That's cool, you know, um, things like that. That helps. Although I I know there's other ways of doing it,
1: but I I for me uh, now now that I've uh, recovered from my hatred of writing introductions, I I think that the part that that I tend to dislike is. Because you you want to, it's a fine line you're threading. Uh, I I've written a lot of papers on energy storage, and I see uh, in with energy storage you have quite a bit uh, of of um, work that's publishable and that's scientifically legitimate, but sometimes doesn't make sense uh, from a practical standpoint for like a, a battery or an energy storage device. So that's okay to publish right like and i've published papers like that as long as you you don't claim in the introduction that you're trying to save the world's problems with energy stories so this is this is where people make a lot of mistakes and and i understand you're trying to sell your stuff really hard right uh so you so the introduction for me is where you introduce to the reader the knowledge gaps that you have learned and they should probably know it as a reviewer or definitely definitely as a reviewer but uh, maybe as the reader because they're reading the paper that's uh, of interest to them, but you you still bring it up. you say, like, okay, within this field, the big issue with uh, lithium metal is dendrite formation there's lots of issues but whatever i'm just I'm just thinking of 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 just just bringing up an example and it's like many in the field have tried to use these techniques and blah blah blah, but they're lacking because of this and then you just kind of you kind of explain what what the the knowledge gaps are and particularly the ones that you're going to address and then you're like uh you know here and we present something that can do this so and that's all well and good just be careful like about overselling it like if you and then you get these papers where like people say things like um it's like this we believe has a chance to revolutionize energy storage i mean ridiculous stuff like this and you're like this will do no such thing. It's not practical in any way. Like you know, no, no one which just
0: that anyway. I mean, exactly. exactly. Just,
1: just you're just gonna piss off the reviewer, and like especially if it's a reviewer like me or like a lot of my colleagues that, that that hate this kind of thing, and they'll get it and they'll be like, "Oh, this is I hate this," and they just it it right away. Like you just you just lessen your chances for getting accepted. So you do want to sell. It. You do want to show that hey, you know, I brought something to the table and. And it solves this particular aspect, and this is an important scientific, um, you know, uh, in, like innovation or, or uh, addition to the field. Kudos for me, and, and you should publish this. But just be careful about, you got to be, the, the introduction is where I see this all the time, because that's that's where you want to say where your work stands, right? And so you want to say it as favorably as possible. And and some people can get a little tricky with qualifiers, you know. You're just like, oh my god, like, you know, it's like this is the 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 best between 99 nanometer and 100 nanometer particle that we've seen to do. It's like, all right, just stop, you know, just stop trying to like put so many qualifiers to make it sound good. It's like technically you're correct, but just you're you're being annoying now. So, so just avoid doing stuff like that. But, but at the same time, you want to sell your stuff. You you want to introduce the field, show what the knowledge gaps are, show what other people have done to address them, and and you don't want to piss those people off too because they could be a reviewer. So you're like, those are commendable efforts, but they were lacking in this regard, which uh you know, which we are addressing here. And then you're like, so you know what you're saying is you're doing you're talking about how you are adding to the scientific knowledge in in. And which is what science is all about, and that, that's all well and good. And then you sell it a little bit, you like never before have um, such a high capacity for well whatever. You like, you know, to to the best of our knowledge, this is the only, you know, uh, the the only work that has done this in this X and Y Z kind of way, and then we've achieved these results that I haven't been seen before. That's cool, but like just be careful about overselling it. Like it's just nothing just drives um, you know, s- scientists or reviewers more crazy than like getting something that's going, to, that's promising to change the world. And you're know, like, no, it's not like, stop saying that. Like, and I, I've, I've written that too. I, I, I'm not as mean as others. Like I won't reject the paper out of hand when I see that. Some people I know, do. they're just like, like F this guy. Like, what what does he think he's doing? Like, I, but I'll just say like, you really need to tone that down. Like, that's too much. Like, I, you know, remove this, remove this, remove this when I write my review, if, if the rest of the paper makes sense and it's, and it's acceptable. But that, that, that's, that's my take on, on the intro.
0: You know, also, you mentioned something that you hit the nail on the head. The liter- literature, we think of it as a just as a simple definition, is a brief survey of the literature. The introduction, I mean, is a brief survey of the literature. But it has to be pointed it has to eventually land the reader on the question that you want to ask. So you have to navigate the specific, you have to have enough, a balance between big picture concepts that have been studied and ideas, but also some technical examples. And you have to choose those technical examples smartly because they should be relevant to eventually arrive. At the end of the introduction, what, what comes out of it is a question that you will answer in the subsequent study. And it's important to introduce the concepts that you will later use in the manuscript and also to select the parts of the literature that are relevant to the problem that you're studying, their successes and their limitations. And then finally, this is the gap, and here's how we're going to answer it. And I think it's a matter of style. Some people very legitimately do, do it such that they even start presenting results or advocating for the paper, I'm not a big fan of that. You know, at at the end of the introduction, what I think is that in this study, we will address this question. And that's how the introduction ends. But some people almost start giving a teaser of the results and sometimes too much of the results, which is almost like making an excuse for the paper. So, so so-and-so was not found. And then here's what we did here. And even starting to kind of give, kind of tell the tell this uh, the end of the story really up front, which I don't think is the part of the introduction. It's not the abstract where you have a summary of your results and the main pointers. I think the introduction has a different function, I guess, to each is own.
2: Yeah, so I think, um, so I, not every paper is the same, right? So like, you know, I'm sure that will be the case for everyone, you don't write the same style like every single time, but, um, in some papers I've written at the be- at the end of my introduction, I I have uh, said, you know, in this work, we do X, Y, Z. Like, we use this kind you know, it's, we use 2D spectral imaging to look at, you know, different things. I'm trying to be very vague. That's just <laughs> too vague. We use this technique to determine this. And um, so, yeah, so I guess it's kind of, I've used the last paragraph of the introduction as kind of like a preview um, to Elias's point. It's yeah, good, well,
0: right. Well, it's no. To do with that, which I think is good practice, and some other thing to say, this is what we found, kind of in an introduction. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, some of the, especially the fancier journals, those boundaries between the introduction and the results section are kind of blurred anyway. And yeah. uh, you can start describing figures in the introduction. There's not even a demarcation. Of different sections. Yeah. yeah. And so I get that. But for like a traditional technical journal, say Journal of Physical Chemistry, C or whatever, I kind of like to say, okay, we will address this problem with so and so. But, uh, but,
1: but, and that's how it ends. You end with that question. That's right. Here's that's right. Think. That's right. Yeah. You kind of end the introduction with, with the, Um, you know, the thing you've been leading the reader to, like you're, you're like, here are the knowledge gaps. Here's what other people have tried. Yeah. And you're like, you're almost like building this, like this story and this narrative and this, this crescendo of like, Oh, and, and, and here comes the hero of our story, our technique for finding, you know, like, and then, and then at the end, that's how you end your last paragraph and your last sentence is basically like, it's like now dear reader, Welcome to the journey into what we did, and then boom, to...
0: Arabian <laughs> <laughs> <don't know. laughs> that, like, that cave in Aladdin, I kind of got this feeling from these vibes from uh, going inside the
1: cave to find the genie. Uh, <laughs> I I only know the it's a it's, it's a whole new world. That's the only <laughs> one I know. Sorry. <laughs> But but yeah, that I mean maybe phrased a little differently, but that's kind of what it ends up being, right? Like you're like, here, dear listener, is what we bring to the table, and then boom, then you, then okay. that's the, that is the quote unquote introduction to what you're going to present, and that's that's kind of uh, that that's that's how it should end. But yeah, that's weird. I've never put like my results, like or figures or anything in the intro. That seems kind of bizarre, but that way. All right,
0: so what about the conclusion section? And I'm going to start it off by saying also what, uh, what Lou mentioned is we often fall back into making these fantastical claims about what the, the crises we have just solved. And yeah, usually it's not like that. So I think that in the conclusion section, people uh, In my opinion, you know, conclusion section roughly is, say, three paragraphs or three main thoughts or ideas. And here's here's how I think it is. So the first paragraph or the first thought is to recap the results. So what should the reader remember from your study? But that's not all of the conclusion. It's not just a summary of what you just did. Then there is in the second paragraph, in my mind, you reiterate the challenges. So what is the next problem? where the, that the next study would solve or how it fits into a kind of a series of questioning. And this is just one the next in line of those questionings. What will the next one overcome? What limitations is the next one? And then finally, the third study, after recapping results, reiterating challenges, the third paragraph is to end with a big picture, like a more broader outlook as to the research field in general. And roughly say, hey, if you had... Like $50 billion, where would you take this research? That's kind of like the fun exercise I like to do. To Tahiti, the- for sure, with lots of cocktails. <laughs> yeah, and, and something like that. So uh, it's kind of like a thought exercise. And obviously, for most of us, all of us, it's nothing more than a thought exercise. <laughs> $50 billion, what are the big picture ideas that this research field will we see it going? And that's kind of my map for navigating your conclusion. I know other people do it differently. So, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I like the the first part you said about uh, recapping on the first paragraph. That's I think that's important. Uh, And I think for me, I I I I like to keep my conclusions really short. Like I don't because honestly, if you have a discussion section, especially you've kind of hit like everything that like. You know, you're you're kind of concluding things in the discussion, and, and, and you know, and making claims and showing how those claims are correct, which is basically your conclusion. So it's it's kind of a summary and and possible. Um, you know, to me, it's like first you summarize, like you said, uh, what what you did and what the important takeaways were. Then you get into you know possibly you know um, not really limitations, but things you didn't. It, you know things that still can be looked into. You know we this was beyond the scope of the work, but perhaps we can do this. And then and then you kind of go into like you kind of end it on a, a future work kind of a vibe. That that's kind of what I do, but I keep it super short, like usually like two paragraphs, maybe three. And I, I because and I also I don't know this is the way I read papers or I look at papers or skim through them to see if I want to read them is. You you look at you know you look at the the abstract first that summarizes most most of what you want. I was like okay that's kind of interesting and then you maybe look at a few figures but honestly I go right to the conclusion like what did they find right so so it's important to get the summaries and the highlights and the takeaway messages like that somebody would want to 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 learn how that happened because you're saying okay we found that you know X Y Z caused A B C and 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 it was due to this process and blah 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 and we demonstrated and so like. When you to to me, I read the abstract and the conclusion, and then I decide if I want to read the rest of the paper. Like I'm like, oh, those, those are interesting results. How did they come about this? And were you know, are these these claims that they're making are they backed by data? And and if so, that's how did they do it? That's interesting. So so to me, that you should I don't know for me, I like to keep that in mind when I write my conclusion that I want to tell them what the big takeaways were and what the the big things we hit, like like you said, but like but almost as a way to kind of pull the reader into the paper and be like, hey, this is what we found out. Isn't that cool? You want to find out how? Come come read the you know the results and discussion section. Like that's kind of how I tend to write the for me anyway, the conclusion.
2: All right. Yeah, I have nothing to add there. I think you guys kinda hit it. The last sentence maybe would be a good place to talk about the broad implications of your work. Um but that, yeah, that's kind of just saying, you know, our, our work broadly fits in this very large, you know, field of uh, whatever it is.
1: But make sure you also say, like, this will revolutionize the way everything is done in the universe. Is,
2: right, there, right. Yeah. There is no yeah.
1: more important work ever to be found, except what you're reading here, dear reader. Like. <laughs> Uh, that's, right uh,
2: yeah you don't want to go that far but uh, i think sometimes i mean that's just i like doing that because it also helps me like it also helps me think through more broadly what is this how does this study fit into the larger field of you know I hydrogen quantification it. or like oxidation or material de- degradation i don't know like whatever uh,
1: that's that's whatever it is that's that that's a good way to, to end it like to, because you're essentially putting yourself where your work lands in that in that field in that research niche and that's that's important for the reader and again for yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, right like i if i'm somebody who's working in that field i'm going to read the conclusion first before i read the results and discussions and be like oh that's cool like that that would show that like let me see how they did that and you know and uh you know does it make sense and so so yeah i i i i tried that too i like that as well Cool. Sounds good. You know, on this topic, there's just way too
0: many things to consider. And maybe at some point, we might have a third episode on, on more select or more niche topics, such as, you know, how do you figure out authorship or uh, how to handle collaborations, how to choose a journal. There's just asked. way too much yeah. to unpack. But I actually wanted to pick your brain to get this last question in. Which is how do you deal with rejection? So, oh, I get this one. Yes, hurt back,
1: <laughs> not good. So, uh, what next? You, you, you email the editor. You find you get the address of the <laughs> reviewer. You show up at their house and you're like, "What the hell is your problem, sir or ma'am?" And then, no, obviously you. You, yeah. You, uh, if you if you if you get rejected, it's it's it's. Th- that's bothered. what you feel like you want to do for sure. Is exactly yeah, what it, you want. Well, it's, especially early on, like I don't know. Now I've become a little less. Uh, um, it, it doesn't bother me as much as it, it did before. It used to be. I was like why can't you see what I am showing you? Do I have to drag you to the water and force you to drink? Do you not see this greatness? Like, you know, you're just, I They'll say something like, uh, this doesn't work because of that like, that's absurd. I covered that. Didn't you read the paper? And, you know, and you get like, it's almost like an, uh, uh, I don't know, to me, like your papers are like your children. So like, it's someone who's telling you your child is stupid or something, or like, you know unattractive uh you know you're just like it's the most beautiful baby in the world you know so so you you kind of take it personal, especially in the beginning i remember my first paper i i couldn't like i was like like uh i was very excited to write my first paper and i wrote it i think i told you with uh um this uh, postdoc we had uh, uh, in our group who was uh, really smart and very knowledgeable and and really good at writing papers. I learned a lot from him. And his name is Antonio. He was from the UK. Shout out, Hala, UK. And then, uh, I mean, he's from Greece, but he's, he's working out in the UK. Uh, and and he, you know, I remember like he was curmudgeony and kind of caustic. He had a really caustic sense sense of humor and, and very like, you know, kind of biting. That's why I really enjoyed him. And um I remember getting uh, he was he was the second author, so he's like a big part of the paper. And um when we when we got the review, I, I think I think we got it accepted. the Yeah, this is the review the the one that got accepted. uh and it was like a nice journal and everything and and everything was great. But I should have been happy. But because one of the reviewers was kind of didn't like some of the things we were doing I was just kind of angry I'm like didn't you read the paper and he's he's like well we have to respond to this and it was my first time doing it so I started doing the response and I think I was writing like he clearly did not read the paper and he clearly did like this the reader clear and he goes, No, 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 you can't do that. And I was like, What do you mean you can't do that? Like you're Antonio's, like you do this kind of stuff all the time. Like he's like at conferences and stuff. He's like, No, 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 you can't you can't you can't write that that kind of letter to the reader. He's like, you have to and he, and I remember just being like well, if Antonio says we can't do it, then we probably can't. Like he's he's pretty, like, <laughs> you know. He, he he's a pretty, you know. He's he's a pugilist in this sense. So I was like, maybe, and that's what I learned. Like you have to kind of say, like uh, we we um, we we thank the reviewer for you know uh, pointing this out. Uh, we we don't think it's uh, a part of it's beyond the scope of the work or what we're trying to show or whatever, but, Oh, but if it's a rejection, straight up rejection, you just kind of, there's not really anything to write and you just kind of, you just take it on a chair and just put it in, an, in a different journal. I mean, it's just, there's, there's plenty of them out there. So, but right. yeah. That, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I was gonna um, add that. I feel like rejection is like, it sounds bad, but it's not necessarily bad. It might just, I mean, there, your paper might get rejected for a bunch of reasons. One of which might just be like, it's not appropriate for that particular journal. It doesn't mean it's not valid work or good work. It's just not really within the journal scope. Okay. Submit elsewhere. Or, you know, if you do get some harsh criticism back from reviewers, I think a very good way of looking at this is there are like these people aren't coming to find you to tell you that you do shitty work like they're doing their job and they're pointing out things that maybe could be improved or whatever it is and if they do have harsh comments and say it's like a situation maybe like one it's not rejection it's major revisions these and they're hard they're hard to address you might have to do more at work you might have to do more experiments these things are going to make your paper better which is ultimately what you want right so I think you know your initial response with rejection or major revisions and there's all this crap you need to do you know you might be angry (laughs) or whatever but it's only going to make your paper stronger and that's something my advisor used to tell me when i would be like "Ah, this is so annoying (laughs) you know and um he would just be like it's going to make it better and i was like but i have to do more work like yeah of course yeah no shit like (laughs) um but that thing's going to be on the internet forever. So
1: better make it good. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I just had a paper rejected like, uh, like, um, I don't know. It was like a week ago or so. So it's like, yeah, but I, I totally didn't take it personally. I was just like,
2: yeah, move on. Yeah. he's yeah, like, whatever. Next like
1: I, I, I think I was, I submitted it to, uh, to small, which is a nice journal. I like it. And, and I thought it was like a good target for it, but you know, they were like, and they like did this, like, uh, uh, thing where they're like, hey, would you like to send it to our open access sister journal instead? I'm like, no, nah, it's cool because I, I, I already had like a backup plan in mind because it was like, you know, these things can happen. So I was like, okay, I'll just submit it to this other journal that I already have it figured out. Thanks for your offer, but that's cool. And you just move on. It's 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 nothing personal. It's uh, you know and yeah, it's and I I've had papers rejected from like you know decent journals and then submitted it to another you know higher impact journal that's like more highfalutin and gotten accepted and you're right liz it's like it could be fit it could be lots of things like i don't know like small seemed to be a good fit but you know maybe they didn't they didn't think so that's cool whatever they're, they're the editors it's like or, or the reviewers it's 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 fine you just move on and just submit it to another one it's totally fine yeah
2: there's plenty out there it's just about i think finding
0: the right thing i guess <laughs> what's that just there's just hundreds of them. The Germans. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> tons. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth remembering that editors uh, are not infallible, which means they're fallible. I used the double negative. I thought it sounded good. So
1: they're kind of fallible. Is that a word, yeah. fallible? I think so. It's, it's, it's not silly sounding. <laughs> it's, okay. but it doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> so... They make mistakes and sometimes
0: they have to evaluate just tons of these papers on the fly and it has to be such a broad topic of expertise that they're covering. And at the same time, hey, it's not as if just the rest of the world is collaborating against you or conspiring to bring you down, you know, because the academy doesn't understand your porous carbon tubes, how important they are. (laughs) I, I cannot remember a time where, kind of like what uh, Liz was saying, that reviews did not make the paper better. Yeah, They usually make true. the paper better. I mean, scientifically, sometimes they make it aesthetically less pleasing, shall we say, when
1: they ask about weird stuff. Sometimes they make it just weirder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and they always make it a bigger pain in the ass, but but they do make it better. Scientifically,
0: you yeah. know... It's not perfect, our peer review system, but it's a crucial filter that we can't sustain science without. And uh, it does the job. I think it's important to remember
1: that. Good call.
0: Yeah. Great. So, if we don't have any last thoughts from our esteemed nuclear slash material panelists, I guess (laughs) we (laughs) We should call it today. And good luck with your publishing. And, you know, Every time you're feeling frustrated, hey, it's not you, it's grad school. So remember that and uh, be positive. And often after the uh, episodes on writing a manuscript, it's useful, I think, to go back to the episodes on mental health. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so just let's stay positive and rock on. Keep the science coming. Be
1: excellent to one another.